All right. <clears throat> perfect, perfect. Good to see everybody today. We are uh, back and ready to study soteriology, soteriology again. I want you to look at the chart just to give you an idea of what we're looking at today. Well, really, it's um, partly true anyway because we're looking at effectual calling today, effectual calling and everything that has to do with the nature of the effectual call and we're also going to talk about the general call but you see that I've highlighted there effectual calling and uh, regeneration now that's the whole that's the whole graph so you know the letters are pretty small words are pretty small sorry for folks in the back especially but that's that's really what we're focusing on is um, these two subjects now um, you know I, I think of what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna split up uh, effectual calling from regeneration. We'll handle regeneration, uh, Lord willing, next week, um, which is good because next week is uh, Easter, and so we're going to uh, study this aspect of the resurrection, you know, the regenerative power, the giving life to us, and uh, I think it's fitting. So, uh, but really quick, let me just uh, begin with some simple definitions here, okay? Uh, before we do that, let's pray, and, uh, and then I'll get started. I feel like I need to pray. Father, um, Lord, thank you again for this day. Lord, thank you that we can come together as your people now and uh, examine your word and look at what your word has to say. And Father, the great power of your call in our lives, we pray that you would show us this power and show us what it is that you've done, Lord, because for many of us, Lord, we, we are living, Lord, in light of that effectual call, but some of us don't know exactly what transpired and how that worked and what you did to carry it about. So, we are so grateful, Lord, so thankful that we can look at effectual calling in greater detail now to know exactly what it is that we went through in our regeneration and our conversion. And so help us, Lord, give us light, give us wisdom and insight to see your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So that definition there, effectual calling refers to God's power to actually call a person into fellowship with Jesus Christ through the ministry of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I also give a quick uh, definition of regeneration. Regeneration is the work of God's spirit to make us alive spiritually, enabling us to respond in faith to the gospel. Um, a lot of debate in terms of how does regeneration and effectual calling go together? How do they relate and how are they distinguishable? And so maybe, you know, eventually some of those things, we'll get to tease some of that out. Uh, but just right up front, I mean, it's very difficult to distinguish effectual calling from regeneration and vice versa. The one goes with the other. I mean, it really is hand in glove. It's two sides of the same coin. We're looking at the power of God to call us uh, in a saving fashion. Well, how does he call us in a saving way? But by making us alive. I mean, so regeneration and effectual calling really go together. Now... There's a couple aspects of this that we have to tackle here. And that is, when we talk about the effectual call, we're referring to what happens internally uh, in terms of our salvation. Not to be confused with the general call of the gospel, which is really external. So the general call pertains to the proclamation of the gospel, not to regeneration. I guess that's one way we can say it. Is there a way that the general call comes to a person 
without, let's say, the proclamation. Of, when you think the proclamation of the gospel, what do you think of? What comes into your mind? Street, did I hear street preaching? Oh, you guys are bad. <laughs> you guys got a flashback from UNT, right? Um, yeah, okay, so fair enough. Evangelism. Uh, certainly, street preaching is a way in which the general call goes out, right? A.W. Tozer was saved through a street preacher on a corner, you know? And uh, so definitely God uses literal public proclamation through the agency of a human being. Is there any other way that the general call comes to you um, uh, uh, without, let's say, uh, uh, in addition to that? Reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. Is that what you were going to say, Rob? Yeah. yeah, reading the Bible. I mean, I remember being, you know, 18, 17 years old, and, you know, I had a little Gideon's pocket Bible. And when all my friends weren't around... I would sneak in my room and I'd pull out that little Bible and read it, you know. Uh, I didn't want people knowing I was reading the Bible, looking into it, you know. And, uh, but I tell you what, that was part of God's general calling on my life. That was God calling me uh, several times. Every time I read that little Gideon, you know, God bless those Gideons because they got the gospel to me, you know. And I would read that Bible and I would get convicted when I read the Bible. So definitely the general external call of God through the gospel, through the word of God, comes through the agency either of human proclamation or of the knowledge of God, be it through a gospel tract, be it through reading the Bible, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, any other way that it comes? I think this point... Well, the Holy Spirit is obviously the one orchestrating even the general call, right? So when we think of the Holy Spirit, I mean, we're mainly thinking about, yes, he's involved in the general call, for sure, that all people hear the gospel. They fall under, uh, let's say, the convicting work of the Spirit, right? Uh, what does, um, uh, what's the verse I'm thinking about? John, I want to say John 16, right? The, the Spirit has come into the world to do what? To convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's right. So definitely he accompanies his word in that. Um, but I'm thinking of another mode of human proclamation that God uses for the general call. Yes, sir? Uh, gospel tracts? Yeah, I mentioned gospel tracts. Preaching. Preaching. Very good. Why do, why, why do you think I, I decided to kind of zero in on that, Kata, preaching? You're probably thinking, I don't know why you decided to do that. <laughs> you do a lot of things, I don't know why you do that. <laughs> Maybe it's just, um, it's just like you know. Well, you know, and the other thing, too, is that I was thinking is, you know, we have to be careful um, that we don't ever think of preaching as something that is av averse to evangelism or as if there's evangelism, right, and then there's preaching and never the two shall meet, right? Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, I remember years back, uh, Trish and I, we were doing a thing for Wretched on the radio, and I remember um, uh, on the radio, I think I had mentioned on there, I think I, 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 think I took the, the, the phone from you, Trish, and I mentioned something about we invite people to come to church, right? Certainly, we invite the unbeliever to come to church and to hear the preaching of the word of God. And somebody, 
either emailed you, Trish, or me or somebody, and just lambasted us for suggesting that church is for unbelievers. No, 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 you know, church is for believers, you know, and blah, 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 don't you dare invite unbelievers to church. And uh, is that a little bit of a extreme, yeah. uh, extreme reaction, right? What do you think that's a reaction to? Explain. Don't just throw the secret sensitive under the bus. Expl explain. What do you mean by that, Robert? Well, coming from that background, it seems as if everything is catered to the okay. unbeliever rather than growing the believer. Okay. That's right. Uh, the reaction is, is that uh, church is primarily evangelistic. So every sermon is about evangelism. Every sermon is about um, get saved. You know, Robert Morey is famous for telling that story. The preacher, you come in, the preacher's same old message every week. You know, you come in, get saved, everybody. Next week, you come back in Sunday morning, you go, get saved, you know. It's like, okay, we're saved already, you know. <laughs> now what? You know, we can't, we can't just constantly hear get saved. Um, but at the same time, my own personal ministry, I've had the glorious uh, experience of having somebody become uh, converted under my preaching. And I'm not talking about open-air preaching, I'm talking about sermons, you know. Uh, a sister came up to me and said, you know, uh, for years, or maybe not years, maybe for months, I couldn't even, I couldn't understand anything that you were saying up there. It was all blah, 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 blah. All this, you know, redemptive that and Calvinism this and, you know, she, she didn't understand any of it. And then she said, one day, I suddenly understood. And it was just like Lydia, God opened up her heart so that she can hear the things that were being spoken. And she claims she was converted during a sermon. And so we don't want to underestimate, right, the power of preaching, you know, the, the weekly sermon to have that evangelistic effect uh, so that we don't, uh, I say that just so that in our minds we don't just compartmentalize. Well, evangelism is over there, right? Uh, no, we, we, we need a good dose of that even in our sermons. Anybody want to speak to that or add anything to that? No? Okay, let's get going. So, so the general call pertains to proclamation, whether it's through literature, reading the Bible, open-air preaching, gospel preaching, evangelism, not regeneration. You see that? not regeneration. The general call is universal. Regeneration is not. You guys understand what I mean by that? The general call goes to everyone, but does regeneration go to everyone? So then the effectual call, right, which we'll get to, also does not go to everyone. Uh, the general call is primarily the duty of believers. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I would add solely the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And so, uh, let's go on. Now, let's talk about the general call. There are three main components when we think about the general call and what it is comprised of. Number one, the general call consists of setting forth the facts of the gospel. The facts of the gospel. And what are the facts of the gospel? Well, these are kind of bare minimum facts. Okay, we can say death, burial, and resurrection. Correct, but we're talking about in terms of uh, presenting something to the unbeliever, right? And so Wayne Grudem summarizes with these three points. Number one, all people have sinned. So you have to set forth the gravity of sin. All 
people have sinned. You have to show people their guilt and their state of misery and, and, and hopelessness because of their sin, their fallenness, okay? And number two, you have to also indicate the penalty for sin, the fact that the penalty of sin is death. And anybody want to add to that? The penalty of sin is death. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I understand what Gruden wanted to do. He's just trying to give a very you know, quick, succinct, right? But you could add the word hell in there pretty quickly, too. You know, but I, I see what he's doing. He, he wants to just ground us in Romans 6, 23. Uh, what is Romans 6, 23? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So that's what he's trying to say. And then thirdly, Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. And so you have to set forth the remedy, right? You have not preached the gospel until you get to these points. Right? Uh, Robert and I, on uh, the podcast for Red Grace, we covered this evangelism article where this guy, you know, was going on about real, really relational relationship evangelism. And he said how we need to be careful that in our evangelism, we're not just trying to check off a list, right? Like, you know, you did this, you scored this many points, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> we have a duty as Christians, right? We're ambassadors of Christ, right? Which means we are, uh, we are Jesus' emissaries. We carry a message, right? We don't uh, get the privilege of dictating to God what part of the message we're going to talk about. If we want to do our job correctly as evangelists and as ambassadors of Christ, we have to have the components that are mentioned here in the gospel. So in a sense, yes, we do have to check off a list, right? So anybody want to speak to that? I just need to make sure we're faithful to exactly what the gospel is. And I think that being that bare bones, you know, what Adam has done there is a good way to, kind of, it's like, kind of like a thermometer or a thermostat for us to check, make sure that that's what yeah. uh, we're accomplishing in our evangelistic goals. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think it's ultimately the desire. If you don't have the desire, that's what we need to check our hearts. The desire to share? Yeah. Okay, yeah. To evangelize, yeah. to yeah. reach out, to, to share the gospel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like if you just don't have that desire in general, that would be something we need to examine. Yeah. Because we should have that desire. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was preaching this, uh, this Wednesday at UNT, and I said, you know, I was talking to this gentleman who was telling me, you know, don't, don't talk about hell and sin, and, you know, you're always trying to scare people. I said, you know what, sir? Think of it this way, you know, you're standing outside the buildings of 9-11. You know what's about to happen. You see people walking into the buildings, sipping on their lattes, and it's just like every other day. They're getting ready to go in there. Maybe they got a corner desk with a, with a window view, right? And you know what's about to happen in a few moments. How would you warn those people, right? Would you try to impress them with the building across the street? Oh, look, they got better air conditioning over there, right? Uh, no. You would plead with them, and uh, this gentleman, to my horror, said, I don't know. I don't know how it will try to be. I said, okay, make it a little bit more. Use your imagination. Make it more. What if that was your family walking into those buildings? How would you try to compel them not to go into those buildings? I tell you, you know, if it was me, I mean, over my dead body, right? Uh, like Shailin says, you know, I'll put a gun in your face if I could, right? Uh, like Spurgeon says, if people are going to go to hell, let it be that they're leaping over our bodies as we're clutch, hanging onto their feet, going into hell. You know, that's the attitude. That's the heart that we should have. We don't always have that heart. So 
after we give the facts of the gospel, what, what is next? What's the next step? What's the next component to the general call? Anybody want to guess? The command to repent. Command to repent? Okay. Um, and so the way that Grudem puts it is that we have to have an invica- invitation. There has to be an invitation, right? Um, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. Look at the word. Take my yoke, right? So this is what in Hebrew, in Greek is known not as a strict imperative, but almost as a polite a type of imperative, right? It's, it's, it's more of a, it's, it's cast more in the tone of an invitation, right? It's not like Jesus saying, you better come to me, right? I mean, there are places where he does things like that, but here he's, he's inviting people to himself as the remedy. And, and um, I'll be honest with you, I mean, how, how often do we fail to do this maybe? You know what I mean? Really, really invite people to Christ to say, come to him, right? Are you weary? Are you tired, right? Are you burdens? Are you fed up with all your burdens, all your sin, right? Um, as the hymn, what does the hymn say? Weary of earth, myself, and sin, right? Are you weary yet, right? And uh, this is going to go inextricably with the effectual call, however, uh, but the invitation can also be conceived of as a command. Look at Acts 20, 21. Somebody want to read that for us? Who's quick? Who's got a quick draw? So I'm, I'm, I'm striking a balance here. Okay, <laughs> Kim. Some of the verses I am going to put, and now some of the verses I'm not going to put. Okay, I got Kim in my conscience while I'm doing this, you know, PowerPoint. You know, make us look up the verse, you know. I love that. That's, that's, that's right. So, yes, sir. I, I like having it up there, not the verse. Well, I don't want to cause division between you and your <laughs> no, wife. Because once I start looking, I'm like, okay, what verse was that again? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm already looking for the book, and then, you know, that helps. That's right. Remember. Well, there's the reference, Acts 20, 21. Who's got it? Anybody? Jonathan? Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we were, that's what they were solemnly testifying to. That that was what God was requiring, is repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Um, And this call is also universal. Look at Luke 24, verse 47. Luke 24, which is a parallel of Matthew 28, right? Verses 19 through 20, which is the Great Commission. But Luke 24, 47, I just thought I'd go with a different commission passage. What does that say? Luke 24, verse uh, 47. Who's got that? Yes, ma'am. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. To all the nations, right? All the nations need to hear this proclamation. Um Kind of what uh, Kim was talking about earlier. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. Is anybody there already? Anybody ahead of us? No? Uh, KW there? Go ahead and read that for us. 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled. That's a beautiful passage because there it's almost like Paul has got an analogous relationship to God. God is making an appeal and he is begging, or how does he put it? He is imploring. imploring. He is imploring them on behalf of Christ. 
to be reconciled to God, right? And that word in the Greek literally means to beg, right? To beg. I beg you, you know, flee the wrath of God, you know, turn from your sin. Come to Christ. He's, your only, he's the only way. He's your only hope. He's the only thing you've got, you know? Um, third, we have to give also the promise of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. How often do we do that, and how much, how much of that fills up our evangelism, if we're honest, that we've set forth what is promised in the gospel, right? The fact that you will be forgiven, the fact that you will have life, the fact that, etern- that Jesus stands to give eternal life. Louis Burkhoff, if you guys don't have a systematic theology, please be sure and get this. The external call also pertains to a promise of acceptance for all those who comply with the conditions. So what does he mean by acceptance? Who is accepting who? God will accept them, right? Acceptance for all those who comply with the conditions. Not in their own strength, but by the power of the grace of God wrought in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Burkhoff getting ahead of us a little bit here. Um, general call, why is it so important that we have a, a, a firm grasp on the general call? Bearing in mind it's universal, right? Bearing in mind the components of the general call, all of that. Well, I thought Romans 10 is probably the best answer to that. And look what I highlighted there for you. Can you all see that? What does that look like for you guys? Oh, you can see that. Right? Um, how... How, how, right? You don't want to take the gospel to everyone? Well, then how, 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 right? How are they going to call on him whom they've never believed? How will they believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Isn't that wonderful? So again... The importance of the general call. The general call is not just a stepping stone to, you know, what the real important stuff is. No, we have to see that the general call is important, right? It is absolutely important. It is indispensable. Any questions, comments, statements? Yes, sir? I've kind of talked to some friends uh, about that, some, some, you know, putting forth. I think God, you know, like those in the... Like our aborigines before any gospel call, maybe God saved some of them sovereignly. But I just turned to Romans 10. It's like, that's not what this says. You know, it does yeah. sound like it, the, universe, the, the general call is vital to all of it as a whole. It, it, it cannot be separated from anything else, especially right. for us as, as a good Calvinist being you know, that God is sovereign over all things. He still has put that. Uh, responsibility on us to proclaim the gospel. I know what you mean by good, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, what Jonathan is talking about, though, is very important. And so, so here's here's the um, here's the problem: is that in broader evangelicalism, you have some who would teach a doctrine of of what's known really as natural uh, revelation that a person through the agency of natural revelation, meaning creation, the inner conscience, those types of things, that that is sufficient 
for a person to be saved. That um, if a, let's say, somebody out in the jungles of the Amazon or something who has never heard of Christ, has no access to Christ, right? They would say if that person in his conscience and in his heart of hearts, if he responds to the measure of light that God has given in natural and general revelation, that God will respond to that and impute to him the righteousness of Jesus Christ without a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that is dead wrong, folks. And I've heard very, very powerful evangelical leaders articulate that very thing. What's wrong with that? So many things wrong with that, but what's wrong with that? Any? Why, why send out missionaries? It eliminates the whole missionary enterprise. You just make it harder. Yeah. I mean, why put your head on a chopping block, Paul? Just stay home. Let God reach out to them through natural revelation. Yes, ma'am. Could you put this maybe in context for me? Because what about that verse where it talks about um, just from God's creation? Or I can't remember where it is, but that man is without excuse. You know, just in other words, like if they just see his creation, so if they don't get the preaching of God's word, they're seeing his creation, is that not? Definitely. And so what we're saying, what you're referring to, I think, is Romans chapter 1, verse 18, uh, verses 18 to 20, where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And so what theologians have surmised is that general revelation or natural revelation, the, revel the, the amount of revelatory you know, information that comes to us through creation and through our own conscience and our own, uh, you know, our own faculty as humans is enough to condemn a person but not enough to save them. It is enough to make them inexcusable, right? Because... I have news for you, right? In the, in the history of humanities, there has never been an atheist civilization. They have never unearthed a strictly atheist civilization. They've never gone into the jungle and found, you know, a Richard Dawkins, you know, hanging out in a, you know, in a hut somewhere, right? It is actually precisely what the Bible says will happen. That when, it, when, because of truth suppression, because they reject the natural light that is given to them, their only option is to turn to <coughs> idolatry. And that's what they do. They turn to worship. What does it go on to say? Uh, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of, in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What is he saying there? Man, in his lost condition, always and only turns to, towards idolatry. He will worship the creation rather than worshiping the creator. Mm -hmm. So would we say, um, like if they never heard the actual gospel preached, they're without excuse if they die? That's right. They're, they're not. And notice what Paul's saying here. They're not without excuse because they don't have the gospel. They are without excuse because they reject the amount of truth that is revealed to them. Okay. Okay. So even the little truth they have, they reject. Right. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, Paris Reedhead? Right? He went to Africa as a missionary trying to reach these poor pagan people, you know, that he said were 
good people, right? He was hoping that he he, he knew that there's good people out there, and they're surely they're gonna be they're gonna warm up to him, and you know he's gonna find a really pleasant reception. He said when he got there, what he found was a world of iniquity. He said they were monsters of iniquity, the abominations that they were engaged in. And they do this, folks, they do this knowing that it is wrong. They sin, if you would, against their own conscience, which is what Romans chapter 2, verse 15 is talking about. Romans 2, 15, look that up. But, um, so let's move on. Distinguishing between the general call and the effectual call, because uh, Pastor Chris gave me like a 10-minute warning, uh, or i got to end 10 minutes early. Uh, I've been bad. I've been going over. I can't help it. I just, once I get talking about theology, it's just like. It's no shame. Thank you, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me feel a lot better. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And um, can people get that? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you guys tuned in? I know Mike and Marlene did. How many? Keep your hands up. One, two. Robert, you tuned in. You watched it last night? What'd you think, Chris? It was good, right? Gosh, that guy is so smart. It's unbelievable. We had, we had a lot of people tune in. I got the, uh, the, the report. So good. good. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry, Trish. Uh-huh. interested in hearing people's testimonies. And he said um, he was at a Billy Graham crusade. Yeah. And heard the gospel. Yeah. And then later someone handed him the book called um, Words of God by J.I. Packer. Yep. And that did it. Amen. That's right. Look at now he's one of the greatest minds right now, right? That's right. Uh, alive. Yeah, it's such a comfort to us to know like that the power of... The power to save or to, the power to convert the soul is in the in the gospel. It's in the it's in the words of God, right? I mean, right now Carl Truman is light years away theologically from Billy Graham. <laughs> I mean, just could, probably could not be any further away from Billy Graham. But they still have that common evangelical fellowship. You know what I mean? The simple gospel message, and that simple gospel message is what led Carl Truman to repentance. It doesn't matter if it came through Billy Graham, who's Arminian or whether it came through, you know, uh, Spurgeon, who's a Calvinist, as long as you have the components of the gospel, which I do think Billy Graham has, has always preached. How many of you guys see his, that video that they did on Billy Graham? What was it called, The Cross? Yeah. I mean, that video was, I mean, I, you know, I scrutinized it very carefully, and it fully had the gospel on there. I mean, repentance and faith, heaven or hell. And I thought that was great. It was not compromised to me at all. So, <clears throat> okay. So distinguishing between the general call and the effectual call. Look at what Jesus says here. For many are called, but few are chosen. But I thought to be called was, in a sense, to be chosen, right? That's not what Jesus has in mind here. He has in mind the general call, right? That generally everyone is called, but effectually, right? Effectually, those that are chosen, elect, are the ones that actually come into salvation. And that would be a result of the effectual call. Uh, what is the effectual call? Efficacious call. This is the way that Grudem defines it here. He says, effective calling is the act of God, the Father, 
speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel, in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. That's right. That is what it is. Now, there's a, there's a phrase right there that Grudem uh, is brought up that I thought was kind of important for us to, to uh, always know, always have a, an understanding of, and it is the, word, the phrase there at the very end, saving faith. See that? So I wanted to digress for a second, okay, and talk about saving faith. See the three C's, C, C, C? Uh, that's like the easiest way you can memorize the genuine uh, nature of saving faith. Historically, this has been taught uh, through three uh, Latin terms, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. What is notitia? Well, notitia has to do with our mental faculty, the mind. In other words, cognition. Right? How does saving faith work? Well, you have to have a knowledge, in other words, of the gospel. Not only do you have to have a knowledge of the gospel, you also have to have an intellectual assent, right? A census, or the word consent. You have to agree with the facts of the gospel. And then last of all, the Latin word fiducia just simply means trust, trust, or conviction, right? It becomes yours. And so, can you have one without the other? Is true, does true saving faith look like one without the other? Can you have total trust without knowledge? Well, if you don't know what you're trusting in, <laughs> what you have at the end of the day is not saving faith, right? But what we've talked about before, uh, 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 fideism, uh, right? And what is fideism? Fideism is the idea that you trust or that you believe something a priori just because, right? You believe it blindly, in other words. My pastor said it, that settles it. There's nothing else to discuss, right? Well, in a sense, we can do that with the Bible, right? But even the Bible doesn't call us to blind faith. What is the definition of faith in the Bible? Yeah, that's right. It is the assurance of the things that we have become convinced of. It is not blindly following uh, uh, something, okay? That's fatalism. That's fideism. That's not biblical Christianity. In the same way, you can have all the knowledge, all the cognition, you can have all the knowledge that you want, right? But if you do not agree with what you know, if you do not trust in what you know, it doesn't result in saving faith. Same thing with a census. How many people have you met that have come shy? Let's, let's put it this way. How many people have you met that know about the gospel? I know, I know, I know. No, 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 I, I agree with you, I agree with you, right? but they don't have fiducia. They don't have that trust. They have the first two components, but they don't have the last. And it's clear as day, you can see it right in front of you, that they do not trust the things they claim to know. And it's very sad, isn't it? It's very sad when people say, I know all that, I know all that, the man upstairs, I got it, right? 
and you know their lives does not, does not in any way reflect that they trust in those things. Let's go right into some examples of effectual calling. Boom! Look at those verses. Cam would be proud of me. It means we've got to look them all up. Okay? Uh, let's disperse some of these verses. K-Dub, can you read 1 Corinthians 1.9? I'm just going to pick on you guys, sorry. Uh, let's see here. Russell, get some, get some other guys to get involved in this here. Russell, can you do 1 Thessalonians 2.12? John, can you do um, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.14? Uh, Amanda, you want to look up for us John 6.44? Okay. Um, who, who else wants to read? Right, Christian, please look up Acts 16.14, okay? Acts 16.14. And then two more. These, these are important. Robert, 1 Peter 2.9. And then Pastor Chris, 1 Peter 5.10. Let's go back to, to the... You all remember your verses? K-Dub. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our You know, I have a... Um, there's a personal background to this passage. Uh, for years, I had interpreted this passage incorrectly. I was taught that what Paul was saying there was that what was that that passage was communicating more of a vocational idea, meaning that my my calling in life, meaning my I don't want to say my hobby because that sounds blasphemous, but you know what I mean. That what my pra what I was called to was to practice communion with with Jesus Christ, and so I was taught this is what God has called you to do, is to go out into the woods and fellowship with Jesus with your journal. That's what that verse is talking about. <laughs> no, that's not what the verse is talking about. What that verse is talking about is that God, through the effectual call, has put us into union with His Son. That's what it's talking about. That he has put us in union with Jesus Christ. That is what the fellowship, the uh, koinonia, is referring to. Participation in the person of Jesus Christ. It's much deeper than what I thought it was. Okay. Um, next one, 1 Thess 2.12. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom yeah, and the reason why that is important, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, the reason why that one's so important there is because it shows us that our calling in this context is absolutely salvific, right? Be weary of those who say that, we are, that God does not call us to personal salvation, right? And here I'm thinking about Romans 8, uh, what is it, Romans 8... Uh, 30, right? Those whom he predestined, he also called, right? But that's not to individual salvation. Yes, it is. <laughs> Look here, right? 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. What are we called to? He calls us into his kingdom and glory. So that's just another way of explaining the realm of salvation. 2 Thess 2, 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. Yes, sir. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. So that has now, uh, what do you think, what aspect of salvation is that, John? 
<laughs> I mean, when you think of that, what is he talking about? What is, the, what, what is that calling resulting in? Is it conversion that he's focusing on? That's right. Well, because he says through the gospel that that, right, you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that referring to? Glorification, right? So here we see that we have been called, exactly like Romans 8.29 or 8.30 says, that we were called, and if you're called, you're glorified. And the same idea. So in other words, it has an eschatological focus. Any questions or comments, feedback on that? No? These are all straightforward, right? How people can get these wrong, I don't know. But they do. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you've done, in a sense, you've done your job, you know, if you've witnessed to them, you know, you've told them the truth, if they want to divert, if they want to distract from the issue, right, which is really the need to, 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 to come into fellowship with Jesus Christ and need to be saved, you know, then that's really a distraction. So I would just try to focus in on what's important, which is, you know, the, the gospel, you know, call them back to the gospel, you know, and uh, don't get in a debate with them about judging or not judging or, you know, talk to them about, look, do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Do you have, have you been reconciled to God? You know, that's what I would focus on. Yeah. Okay, uh, John six forty four. who had that one? Amanda? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yeah, and so there we have a very powerful, a very powerful um, verse because it really gets into the actual uh, mechanics, if you would, of effectual calling. In the word that he chose to use, draws him, right? The idea of this divine allurement, that you are being summoned. Some people say, well, like dragged, right? It's, I think Luke uses it to talk about pulling in a net of fish, right? Um, that's what it looks like, that you are being... Um, what, what, what would we, what is the doctrine that this touches on? Irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. Now, can you explain that, that, that doctrine a little bit? Um, Robert, explain what you mean by irresistible grace. Well, it, it's not pointing to the fact that we have never resisted God's grace. Okay. However, there is a point when it comes to the effectual call that the grace is so overwhelming that we uh, have been given the mind to answer it in an appropriate fashion and a new heart to answer it in an appropriate fashion to where we're, we can no longer resist and he has overcome our resistant will and soul to actually answer that call. That's right. I mean, it's really remarkable because if you look at what Jesus is saying here, you go from a state of inability to a state of ability, right? And it's through the effectual call, you know. 
Um, I think that was one of the biggest points of theology for me was learning the idea of the inability of man. Now, I, I had always thought, I'd always believed in free will. I'd always believed that man is able, in a sense, to choose salvation whenever he wants. All I need to do is get him to say that prayer, <laughs> you know, and that's all he needs. But then when I come to the scripture more carefully and understand that, no, actually, man is actually enslaved to his sin. Man is actually a, a prisoner. Man is actually dead in trespasses and sins. What can men do? Go to the cemetery, right? We pass a cemetery on the way to UNT every week. There's a cemetery right there. What a, what a, what an ironic, <laughs> what a reminder, right? What a solemn reminder, right? Everybody is out there is dead. Not everybody, okay, but, you know, it's just a reminder. I mean, walk out in that cemetery. I guarantee you, you can walk out there till you're blue in the face. I bet you those dead people don't do anything. I bet you they'll stay right there. You can sit there with a lemonade stand and offer them eternal life. I guarantee you they won't get up and grab, grab a cup of it. They're dead. And um, that's why we need to be effectually called. And then next week, we need to be also regenerated. What's the next verse? Any questions on John 6 there at all? Anything? Okay. Acts 16, 14. Who's got that one? Christian? This is a good one. Listen here. This is a good one because this, this is a personal example, right, of how it works. Go ahead. A woman named Lydia from the city of Tytera, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Yeah. Um, there you see the almost, I don't know what you want to call it, but the exact point of contact, the very miracle, right? The very miracle of this effectual calling, this regenerative power of God, where Lydia is sitting there listening to what the uh, apostles are proclaiming, and it's hitting her, right? The general call is hitting her. But then at the point when God opens her heart is when she begins to respond. You see that? So there's, she goes from a, a state of spiritual deadness, non-responsive heart, right? That what we could call the stony heart. A stony heart is not pliable and it doesn't respond. And then she is given a new heart. He opened her heart. What does the heart refer to? That's my question. Huh? You know what I mean? What is the heart? <laughs> he opened her heart? Well, he didn't do physical surgery on her. <laughs> so what does the cardia that is mentioned here... What does that refer to? The soul? Is that what you said, Mike? Yeah. That's right. Anything else? The mind, the understanding. Right? The spirit of a person. In other words, that invisible aspect of her humanness, that internal spiritual aspect of her humanness. He didn't touch her physical organ, you know. He touched her spirit. 
And her spirit, because her spirit and her mind are indissoluble, the moment she was given life, she understood. Just amazing. Amazing. Okay, last, last two verses here so I can end on time. From Peter. First Peter. These are two very, very good ones. First Peter. Who's got 2.9? I do. Okay. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. That's right. So there, explicitly, man goes from two, two different spheres, right? It goes from two different spheres. He goes from the sphere of darkness to the sphere of light. And so what does the sphere of darkness represent? Well, it represents unbelief, right? It represents... Uh, um, the fact that he is lost, right? Condemned. Condemned. All of these things. He is an unbeliever. He is lost. He is condemned. Into light. And what does the sphere of light represent? But salvation. Right? Out of darkness, into his marvelous light. That's what, that's what happens with the effectual call. He transports us out of one realm of existence into another. Right? We're taken out of the world and we are put into the kingdom of God. Right? It's just really remarkable what happened to us, if you think about it. We were under you know, Adam, number one. God took us out of that and put us into Adam, number two. Right? A whole different representation. A whole different economy of how our lives work now. A whole different orientation. You know? That's why our lives really have to reflect a whole different way of living. You know? The transformative power of the Word of God. Uh, five, who's got 510? Chris, go ahead. It says, after you have suffered for a little while... Mm. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yeah, so, so folks that deny the effectual call of God will make mincemeat out of the Bible. Because if everybody is called, if the word call, whether it's kaleo or any other Greek word, whether it is only representing one kind of calling, well then we should all be, right, in his eternal glory, in the eternal glory of Christ. We would all be saved, in other words. So there must be two kinds of calling, general and effective. A lot of other things. We're called to be saints. We're called into peace. We're called into freedom. We've been called to hope, holiness, patience, endurance of suffering, most of all, to eternal life. Let me try to zip through these. The general call and effectual call um, compared, again, the external call of the gospel, the general call, is God's chosen means. I should have underlined that. The means through which 
the, inter the internal, salvific, regenerating, efficacious call comes to the sinner. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, and then, this is, this is a quote by John Murray, which I absolutely don't have time. I will read it to you, and at least we'll have it on record, <laughs> right? I wanted to take one slide at a time, because nothing that John Murray says is ever easy, but it is gold, right? John Murray is the classic example of if you rake, you get leaves. If you dig, you get diamonds. The fact that the calling is an act of God... And God, wait, am I starting in the right place? Yeah. The fact that the calling is an act of God and God alone should impress upon us the divine monergism in the initiation of salvation in actual possession. We become partakers of redemption by an act of God that instates us in the realm of salvation and all the corresponding changes in us and in our attitudes and reactions are the result of the saving forces at work within the realm into which, by God's sovereign and efficacious act, we have been ushered. We, we have been ushered. Lastly, the call as that by which the predestining purpose begins to take effect. So there is going from conceptual salvation, actual salvation, right? The predestining purpose begins to take effect. Where? In actual salvation is in the respect of divine monergism, meaning God alone, after the pattern of predestination itself. In other words, just like predestination is monergistic, so too the eff efficacious call is monergistic. It is of God and of God alone. And then last of all, the slide that I worked really hard to impress you guys all with. Don't blink. Oh, where is it? Oh, no. It didn't work. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay, gee. There it is. That was so cool. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da. All right, we're, dis we're dismissed. <laughs>